We open the Bible to Psalm 103. We'll read together the whole psalm, focusing our attention on verse 10. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table, let us read the word of God, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, So great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse 10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. If we are all honest, I think we will all admit that one of the most challenging parts of life is dealing with other people. And if we are all honest, we will have to admit that the reason dealing with other people can be so difficult is not only that they are sinners who provoke us, but we ourselves are sinners. And we're very prone to gloss over that fact. Relationships are hard in this life on account of sin. Sin which touches everything. Sin which generates strife. Sin which generates contention. Sin which causes harm and wounds and offense. Dealing with people who provoke us is challenging. Dealing with the sin 
that's at the heart of such problems is challenging. That's a universal experience we can all relate to. And as we think about that experience, it helps us get at what the text would have us see this morning. When we ponder what it must be like for God to deal with people like us. How challenging it must be. How often we provoke him. As we sang in the Psalter number, oft we have sinned against him. And there's a lot packed into that three-letter word, oft. All the time, over and over, many different sins. As God's children, we must be very frustrating children at times for him to deal with. By nature, we are a people rebellious, obstinate, stiff-necked, deserving of God's wrath. What's it like for God to deal with us? And when we think about how often we provoke God, the thought that the text would have us go to next is, what do I deserve? What do I really deserve from him? When I think about the multitude of my sins, and honestly assess how oft I aggrieve him. And then the text leads us to this thought, which is the central thought, and which is the thought that the sermon is going to focus on, a thought that lifts the heart. How does God deal with me? How does he actually deal with me? And how different it is from how he could deal with me. And from a certain perspective, how he should deal with me. How often I provoke him. How frustrating a child I am. By nature, how enraging my sins must be in the eyes of the Holy One. And yet, the inspired Word of God comes to us this morning and says... He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our transgressions. He hasn't. What a wonderful word of the gospel. What a wonderful word of the gospel to hear, and what a wonderful word of the gospel to see, because that's what this table is. That's what this sacrament is. It's it's God's visible testimony to you, beloved, to you, believer. It's a visible testimony how he deals with you. Undeservingly, not after your sins, not rewarding you according to your transgressions, but in the multitude of his tender mercies, his loving kindness, his grace, all of those beautiful words that fall upon us like a blessed waterfall as we read this text, and it's one benefit after another that God pours out upon us. Jehovah is a God we praise because he deals with us mercifully and undeservingly in Jesus Christ. As we get ready to come to the table, let's reflect on those words. For a few moments this morning, our theme is praising Jehovah who deals undeservingly. We're going to look first at how God deals with us. Then secondly, answer the astonished and 
amazed question, how can it be? And then look at a few things we should do in response. The psalmist leads us in the humble confession that we deserve to be dealt with by God in a certain way. How? Dealt with how? And the answer to that question is found in the two choice words in our text that describe us, the two choice words for mankind, and though they are not the words that we would readily want to choose for ourselves, these are two words that describe what we have a complete claim to. Sin and iniquity. Sins and iniquities. Those two words capture and convey what the holy eyes of God see when they look upon mankind apart from the covering blood of Jesus Christ. Of course, man, and we ourselves are prone to look at ourselves differently. Every man will grant that he's got some problems, but man esteems himself overall to be pretty good and fairly great. And we can point to all sorts of things. Look at man's accomplishments. Look at what man has done. Look at the great nations he has built, the progress of his civilizations, the wonder of his art, his inventions, his discoveries. Look at our culture today in 21st century America. The progress of human rights and human values. Look at all the glitter of man's counterfeit virtues. All of these things are meant by man to hide the reality that God's searching eyes see ever so clearly. The reality that every human being since Adam and Eve flees from and tries to cover with every sort of fig leaf he can devise. Sins and iniquities. But no matter what man does, no matter what I do, no matter what you do, those sins and iniquities don't go away. No matter how hard man tries to suppress the knowledge of the truth, the reality that he is a sinner and that there is a God with whom he has to do, that reality can never be fully suppressed. And even in the most obstinate atheist, that knowledge gnaws at the edges of his consciousness. Sins and iniquities. It's an indelible knowledge in the human mind and upon the human heart. There is a God with whom I have to do. A God whom I have provoked and offended. Sin. Sin, which is missing the mark of God's glory. Not because I'm trying so hard, but I'm just an inaccurate archer. No, it's missing the mark of God's glory because the mark I'm aiming at is my own glory. And so I reject that target of God's glory. I don't want to glorify God. I want to glorify myself. That's sin at its heart. And sin brings guilt. Sin is folly that comes out in the word iniquity. Sins and iniquities. I see God, but I don't want to be like Him. I know God's will for me, but I want to do my will. I want my glory, sins and iniquities. And those two words in the text which describe mankind hang over man and carry crushing implications. Because sin and iniquities have to be dealt with. Sin and iniquity 
which is an offense against the most high majesty of God, which separates man from the God that made him, must be dealt with. We can understand that experientially when we think about our own relationships, our own interactions with other people again. God created us to be social creatures, to live in relationship. And when there is sin that disrupts a relationship, a giant roadblock is put there, strife takes place, alienation takes place, and it has to be dealt with. Or it is utterly destructive. It has to be dealt with. And it has to be made right. Sins may not go undealt with. Or think of the justice system in our own land. Crime must be dealt with. Who would ever say that crime against the law of the land should be left alone, should be overlooked, should be bypassed? So that those who vandalize property and those who rob houses and those who kill other persons and all the rest should be left untouched. No, crime must be dealt with according to the law. Justice must be done. That's innate to the very thinking of man. Why? Because God has inscribed it there. God is a God of justice. God is a holy God. God is a God who maintains the moral order of his creation and who must punish sin. And there's the crushing and fearful implication of the two words, sins and iniquities, which we have claimed to, those two words that describe us by nature, God must deal with sin. And there's one way that he must deal with sin. Punishment. Punishment according to his law. Can you confess that this morning? Can I? Will we? By nature? That's what I deserve? That's what I deserve. That's the reward I've earned. Yes, it's impossible to merit with God. That's a creaturely impossibility, but it is possible to demerit with God. It is possible to incur and to earn a sin debt by our disobedience to him. And we have demerited with God. Sin has its wages Wages that we have rightfully earned. And those wages can be summarized in one word. Hell. What is it to be rewarded according to our iniquities? Hell. An irrevocable death sentence for our sins which are an infinite offense against the most high majesty of God. To perish beneath the curse of the just one. To be consigned to desolation, to isolation, to eternal undoing. The outer darkness, the abyss, the lake of fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Utter loneliness, God forsakenness. A process of total punitive ruin that has no end. That's what sin deserves. Do we believe that? Is that how bad sin is? Let us confess it is with the psalmist. That's the just reward of sin fitting the crime. For sin is going against the one only true and living God. Sin is intentionally missing the mark of his glory. Sin is separating self from him and making oneself his own God. The fitting penalty for that is hell, eternal separation from the God we sinned against. 
and the eternal suffering of his just wrath. God is holy. Sin must be dealt with. But now, the heartwarming wonder of the text, the gospel word that is proclaimed to us in this inspired psalm of David, is that God, the God who must deal with sin, does not deal with us as we deserve. He does not reward us with those wages of sin that we have rightly earned for ourselves. He does not reward us according to our iniquities. That is, he does not give us the just recompense. He does not repay us as our deeds deserve. He may. He could. He can. We may even say, he must. And yet, he does not. And he will not. And that comes out in the language of the text. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our transgressions. He has not. And in that verb tense, has not, is contained the idea, nor shall he ever He has not in the past, he is not now, and he never will deal with us after our sins. Can you think of anything more wonderful than that? There's so much comfort in the gospel, so much joy in the gospel's positive revelation of what God does do for his people what God does do for us. But this text focuses our attention entirely on the negative, focuses our attention entirely on what God does not do, even though he may, even though he could, even though in a certain sense he must. And that negative by itself is enough to send our souls to the heights of jubilation. He hath not dealt with you according to your sins and iniquities. Though you and I are sinners laden with those iniquities, those iniquities which are deserving of hell, and all that that word hell contains, He doesn't give us what we deserve. He doesn't give us the wages we've earned but he gives us precisely what we do not deserve. Now we let our minds go back and think about how often we have sinned against him, how often we provoke him, how frustrating we must be to our God sometimes. And we could could understand if he'd want to be done dealing with us, how difficult we can be at times, and yet never, never. We look to the scriptures. We look at covenant history. And we observe the history of God's dealings with his people in the past, which, by the way, are a mirror for us to look into and see ourselves, because we're no different than the saints in the past. We're no different than those whining and complaining and rebellious, stiff-necked children of Israel going through the wilderness, provoking their God every step of the way. 
We're no different than the Israelites in the time of the judges who time and time again turned to other gods and fell into the basest iniquity and forsook the Ten Commandments and had to be chastened and had to be turned around time and time again. Or Israel during the days of the kings. Go throughout covenant history. That's us. That's the church throughout all ages. And yet God hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. What that means is He doesn't punish us like our sins deserve. He doesn't bring His holy, consuming wrath upon us as our sins deserve. He doesn't put us in that place, hell, where we deserve to go for our sins. In fact, we deserve not only to go there at the end of this earthly life, but we deserve... That our God make this life already now a living hell. That he pour out his punitive wrath upon us for our sins every moment of our life until finally he sends us into that abyss, into that outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the text says God doesn't do that. God won't do that. He never will do that to you, believing child of God. Make that personal as the psalmist does. He uses the plural. He speaks for the covenant community. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, Israel. But as we've already seen in the verses preceding in Psalm 103, how personal this psalm is for David. He speaks from his own experience, perhaps reflecting upon those deep valleys in his own life, some of which are recorded upon the pages of Scripture, and we know David's sins so well. Now you think of yours and I think of mine. Sins known to others. Sins known to nobody but still vex our consciences at times. Name those sins. What are your worst ones? Your mind. What are the ones Satan loves to use against you? To jab a knife in your heart. What are those sins that make you feel dirty before the eyes of God? The Lord hath not dealt with you after your sins, nor rewarded you according to your transgressions, to your iniquities. Hath not, will not, How can that be? How can that be? We've already seen. God is holy. God is just. Sin must be dealt with. Sin must be punished. How can it be that the text says, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our transgressions, when He must deal with and punish sin? Do we have a contradiction in God's own word here? We do not. In fact, the seeming contradiction gets us to the most beautiful part of the text. The most beautiful part of the gospel truth that the text communicates to us. God does deal with our sins. It's not that he overlooks them. 
It's not that he exercises his divine will in such a way that he just chooses not to punish them. He can't do that. And that's no slight against the omnipotence of God. In fact, it shows God's omnipotence that he is always the perfectly self-consistent I am that I am. He can never act in a way that is contrary to the perfections of his own divine nature. You and I are unstable beings. We so often act contrary to what we are, contrary to who we ought to be. God never does. He is the rock. His way is perfect. A God of truth, without iniquity, just and right is he. He cannot overlook sin. He cannot fail to punish sin. That's not the explanation. The explanation is that in his wisdom, in his grace, Jehovah has made a way to deal with your sins and my sins. He's made a way to deal with them but not deal with us after them. He has made a way to reward our iniquities, to give just recompense, so that the demands of the law are satisfied. He has made a way to reward our iniquities, while at the same time not rewarding us according to our iniquities. How? How can it be? The answer is what David saw in the tabernacle whenever he went to worship. The answer is what we see not on the altar, but on the table in front of church this morning. The answer is the broken body the shed blood of the Christ, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jehovah dealt with Christ after our sins and rewarded Christ according to our iniquities in order that He might deal with us undeservingly and reward us guilty sinners with that which we have not earned and never could earn, the multitude of his mercies, his loving kindnesses, and all of the blessings of salvation and reconciliation with him. He hath dealt with Christ after our sins, that he may deal with us according to the merits of Christ. And this is no injustice, no injustice at all, but a display of the unfathomable wisdom of God, that God who created the human race in Father Adam, in his wisdom, constitutes a new humanity in the second Adam, Jesus Christ. So that the head of that second humanity may stand before the law, For the sake of all those who belong to him. So that just as all men fell in father Adam who represented all of his children. So too all who are represented by Jesus Christ. Are reckoned righteous for the sake 
of His obedience. And justly, this Christ may take their place. The place of the elect. Take their place as the sin bearer. So that justly, God may punish our sins. But punish them in another. Punish them in His beloved only begotten Son. Who is by no way compelled to take our place. But from the depths of His eternal love for us, willingly takes our place. God is faithful and just to forgive our sins on the basis of Christ's work for us pictured on this table. He is our sin bearer. As Isaiah 53 says, He came for that purpose, to have your sins and iniquities. Though He was pure and purer than all purity in Himself, yet He came to take responsibility for your sins, to have those iniquities transferred to Him as your representative. So that with those sins, everything you deserve, everything that is implied in that word hell, all of that would be transferred to Him as well. And on the cross of Calvary, there He bore, there He bore it all. There He suffered it all. There He drank your cup and mine. There He took the fullness of the wrath of the Holy God against our hell-deserving sins. There, hell came to Him. There, He went through hell. And all that hell is, the isolation, the loneliness, the God-forsakenness, the lake of fire, the abyss, the darkness, the curse. Until justice was satisfied. And the wrath of the Holy One appeased. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we were healed. God dealt with Christ after our sins and rewarded Christ according to our iniquities so that now and forever He may deal with you after Christ's righteousness and according to Christ's obedience. How can it be the broken body shed blood of your faithful Savior went to that cross for you and all of those sins that we thought about this morning, the ones that torment us, the ones that pierce our hearts with knives, the ones that Satan always uses against us, those sins that you named by name, those were nailed to his cross. So that you bear them no more. Because he bore them away. And now you come to this table. To feast upon his blessings. To rest in his forgiveness. The Lord's Supper is God's pledge to you, believer. That he will never deal with you after your sins. Nor reward you according to your iniquities. 
And so we respond and we want to respond. And the only way we can respond is by from the heart saying and singing the words that begin and the words that end this psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul. When we ponder what God could do, what God had every right to do to us, what He justly might have done to us, and then we look at what He has not done, and what He has done, when we think about what could have been, but is not, and when we look at what is, as we look at this table and we see the broken body and shed blood of Christ pictured in the sacrament, what can we do but say and sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Are we not moved? Are not our hearts stirred to make these words our own? Then, pondering how God deals with us, we go back to one another. And in light of this text, we see how we are to deal with one another. How do we deal with one another? How do we reward one another? If God has not rewarded us according to our iniquities, how should we deal with that brother or sister who has confessed sin to us and is sorry and desires our forgiveness. We find a sore spot in our human nature. We so often want to hold things against each other. We so often want to deal with one another as we think they deserve. What if God dealt with us that way? We'd perish. The effect of God's dealings with us ought to be that we deal with one another mercifully. Let that be the fruit. So that as we sing, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, our feet are quick to go and be reconciled with the brother, the sister, from whom we are divided. Come now to the table. This table stands as the visible token of the wonder of this text that God has not dealt with us after our sins nor rewarded us according to our transgressions. Come, believer. Come, weary sinner. Come to the table of him who has borne your iniquities. Let your heart rest in his broken body, his shed blood for you. Amen.